Every Sunday during this series, we've been talking about how we can get to know Jesus just a little bit better. And we've been talking about getting to know him through the life that he lived, through the words that he taught us, through the miracles that he performed. And six weeks ago when we started this journey, we began with me asking you a simple question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? And we've been talking about how that's not really my question. That's a question that we got from Jesus himself 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago. He asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? It's there in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says, then Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? And today as we wrap up This Is Jesus, this series... I want you to ask that question yourself. If someone were to come up to you at work this week or at school, if you're a student, and say, you know, what do you really believe about Jesus? What would be your answer? If they asked you, what do you think about Jesus or who do you believe Jesus is? Or who do you say Jesus is? How would you answer that question? And today as we end this series, I want to talk about a significant term that's used in the New Testament. We kicked off this series talking about Jesus as Messiah. And we talked about how the word for Messiah in the New Testament is this word Savior. When the angels appeared to the shepherds at Christmas, we're about to head into Christmas season. In fact, some of you have already gotten a head start. I've seen Christmas decorations up already. That's, that's a little weird. You know, a couple of subdivisions have a wreath out front. I'm like, that's a Christmas wreath. I thought that was a Halloween wreath for one subdivision. It's like, it's the middle of October, and you guys have gotten a head start. When the angels stood before the the shepherds, they said, Behold, right? A Savior is born to you today. What does this term Savior mean? When we say Jesus is our Savior, what does that mean? 2 Timothy 1.10, Paul writes... And he says, and now God has made all of us, and God has made all of this plain to us by by the appearing of Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. Would you circle the word immortality? Interesting word. As Our Savior, Jesus, secures our eternity, our eternal life, our immortality. How does this happen? I want to take a few minutes this morning to kind of explore what needs to happen in order to know that my eternity is secure, that Jesus has secured my eternity as his Savior. I'll pop one of these cough drops in my mouth. I know that'll be a little distracting to you, but not nearly as bad as my coughing fit when it comes on. Would you fill this one in? How Jesus secures my eternity, number one. Jesus secures my eternity when I believe that he died on the cross for me. Will you fill that in there when I believe When we think of Savior, when we think of 
a deliverer. When we think of a conqueror, Jesus doesn't really fill the bid for those kind of... He doesn't fit the bill at first glance when we think of the... The Jewish people weren't looking for a savior like Jesus. They were not looking for someone who was meek, who was mild, who was, who was humble. They were looking for a military savior. Someone who was going to come in and kick butt and take names kind of a savior. They were looking for someone who was going to overthrow the Roman government. That had been oppressing them. Someone who was going to bring freedom to the Jewish people and the Jewish nation, who is going to establish their kingdom and rule on the earth. That's what they were looking for. But Jesus came for something far more significant. He wasn't a military savior. Jesus was a spiritual savior. They wanted someone who was going to come and heal their broken nation. But Jesus came to heal our broken souls. They were looking for someone who was going to come and conquer empires. But Jesus came to conquer our sins. The cross was the most humiliating death possible, maybe in all of human history. In fact, did you know that it was illegal for the Romans to crucify a Roman citizen? You couldn't be crucified if you were a citizen of Rome. In fact, later when Paul goes to his death, he wasn't crucified because he was a Roman citizen. They only used the cross to execute rebels and slaves because they were deemed to be below humanity, unworthy of being treated as human beings. Those were the only ones who were executed on a cross. So how does a cross, the ultimate form of execution, end up being the ultimate end of someone who could be called a savior? How could salvation come through such a horrible and humiliating end and death? What I want us to understand is that the cross is the ultimate end of God's wonderful plan that he had all the way back in the garden. And that's why the Apostle Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 1.18. You can see them there on your notes. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved by our Savior, we know it is the very power of God. I want you to underline that last phrase, the very power of God. How important is the cross? The cross is the central moment to the life of Jesus Christ. The cross is the central focus, focal point of all of our Christian faith. The cross is even the central event in, in human history. I told you a couple of weeks ago, we divide our calendar between B.C. and A.D. What divides it? When Jesus' death and resurrection happened. Everything before that is B.C. Everything after that is A.D., which is Latin for the year of our Lord. It's interesting that in the Gospels, I know you read your Bible because your pastor tells you all the time, have I told you lately you should read your Bible? The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, they give the account of Jesus' life. Did you know only two of the Gospels mention Christmas? But all four devote 
over one-third of the words of their gospel. To the last week, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and up until the ascension of Jesus. One-third of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the words used there deal with this very short period of time. And that's because our salvation comes through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus stepped in and he took the punishment that was meant for us, that we deserve. And this is why the cross is so important. Remember, we're the ones who had turned our back, humanity turned its back on God. We're the ones who were born into sin and continued into sin and rebelled against God. It wasn't Jesus. Jesus never sinned. The consequences of our sin, the consequence of our sin is that we're separated from God. Our sin is a barrier between us and God. We're separated from God's peace, from God's presence, and from God's power in our life right now. And we're separated from God for all of eternity. That's the price that mankind has to pay for the penalty of our sin. We are separated eternally from God. But you know the story of the gospel. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to pay the price for us. And on the cross, the Bible says that Jesus took on the consequences of our sins so that we don't have to. We don't have to remain separated from God. In fact, the Bible talks about how Jesus, through the cross and the resurrection, that our sins can be forgiven so that we can be made right from God. And the word the Bible uses is reconciled with God and that we could have a relationship with him. Him as our heavenly father, we as his children. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of Jesus' love for us, for you, for me. Galatians 3.13 says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Jesus, as our Savior, he gave his life for you and for me on the cross. So instead of this cursed life, this separated life, a life without hope, a life without purpose in God's presence, we can be reconciled and reconnected. We can be reborn and now live and walk with God forever. Jesus secures our eternity when we believe that he died on the cross for us. That belief is necessary for salvation. So the question I want to ask you, especially those of you who maybe you're tuning in and I don't know personally, or you're new and I don't know you very well, I haven't known you for 10 and 20 years like some of the members here at Seminole Church, but the truth is even if I have known you 10 or 15 or 20 years, I should still ask you this question. The question that I want to ask you this morning as we come to the end of our This is Jesus series is, do you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross so that you could have a relationship with God? Do you believe that he took the punishment of your sin on himself so that you could have real life? That's the first decision that Jesus, that allows Jesus as our Savior to secure our eternity. The second thing I want you to write down, number two, Jesus secures my eternity when I turn away from my sin 
and I turn toward Jesus. When I make this first decision and I, I turn towards Jesus, when I make the first decision by saying, you know, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, it leads me to the second one where I say, you know, I'm going to stop going the direction I've been going and I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow Jesus instead. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. I'm going to follow him. This is the natural decision that comes out of believing. If Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, I'm going to turn towards him and I'm going to follow him. Salvation is not about being perfect. Salvation is not about never messing up. It's not about being a good enough person so that God will accept us. Sometimes that's what people believe. I've got to work hard. I've got to be good. I want to be accepted by God. Listen, God already accepts you. It's not about being religious or going to church. It's certainly not about having good parents or parents who are even Christians or grandparents who are Christians. It's not about any of that. Salvation comes when you recognize that you can't save yourself and that you need a Savior. That's a humbling a humbling realization. You humbly admit that, you know, I can't make my life work on my own, God, apart from you. So I'm going to turn away from my path, from my way, from doing it my way, and I'm going to turn towards you, towards Jesus, and follow him from now on. You turn away from your old life and you turn towards your Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible calls this repentance. That's the, that's the Bible word. But do you know what repentance means? I mean, you, you, you think of the guy on the street corner of the sign, repent, the end of the world's coming. What does that mean, repent? Listen, repentance is simply a change of direction. Repentance is a change of heart. Repentance is actually a change of thinking. The word for repentance means to change your mind. I was living this way. I'm done with that. I'm changing my mind. I'm going to instead follow Jesus. I was living the life that I wanted to live, that I was in charge of, that I am the God of, but I really, I really realize at this point that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, so I am turning from that way, and I'm going to follow him. Now, Jesus tells this incredibly counterculture story to illustrate this in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus always told stories that went against what culture taught or thought. Remember I told you last week that the, the wide is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to peace everlasting. And that almost always as you read your Bible, you're going to see that there's, there's a contradiction between what the Bible says and what conventional wisdom says, what you hear coming out of Hollywood or Wall, Wall Street or Washington. You know, almost whatever everybody else is doing, the Bible is going the opposite way. And Jesus does this even with the disciples. He tells this story, and he tells a story about these two men. And when you start hearing the story, you would expect that one of them would be accepted by God. And then... You think about the other one, and you, you think to yourself, well, that one's, he's going to be rejected by God. And then Jesus tells the story, though, at the end, and he just twists, he turns it on its head and twists the whole story upside down, as he does a lot of times in our lives. It, the story's in Luke chapter 18, verse 10 to 14. It's going to be on the, 
the middle screen. It'll also be on the device if you're watching online or it's in your it's in your uh, sermon outline there right in the middle. Luke 18, verse 10 through 14 it says, this is Jesus talking. He says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. Now, when we see the word despised tax collector, we don't emphasize the word despised enough. Tax collectors back then were lower than drug dealers are to us today. Pimps are to us today. Okay, so they are despised is how we should read that word. One was a Pharisee. The other one was a despised tax collector. Dum, 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 dum. Kind of should have music with it. So the Pharisee stood... The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. He's full of himself, isn't he? Have you ever heard anybody pray like this? Please don't point at them if they're here. He is convinced that he should be accepted by God. Because, let's face it, he's got a lot going on. Verse 13, Jesus says, But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes up to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And then Jesus, in verse 14, turns this whole story upside down. He says to the disciples, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Jesus Is Jesus saying that our behavior just doesn't matter? No, of course not. Our behavior matters in a lot of ways. But that's not how we are accepted by God. That is not how we secure our eternity in heaven. This Pharisee thought he would be accepted by God because he was a better person than the tax collector and he could prove it. He had a mountain of evidence. He thought himself better then the tackler. Now, this is why we got to be careful with this because aren't we all tempted to believe we're better than some people? I mean, you can always find somebody you think you're better than. You have a lot of evidence. You pay your taxes. You serve in church. You attend. You do all these good things. It's tempting to think that gets you accepted by God. And you compare yourself with some somebody we would call the dregs of society, the despised tax collector. And we think we got a lot going on. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You do not earn God's acceptance by being good. Our salvation isn't decided by what we do or don't do. It's decided by what Jesus has already done. And he did it on the cross. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. And that's 
sometimes a light bulb moment, an epiphany, a defining moment when you realize, you mean I'm doing all this stuff? I'm working so hard to get God to love me and it doesn't do any good? Exactly. You cannot do anything to get God to love you any more than he already does. God already loves you full out 100%. And you're like, well, why bother? Exactly. Why bother? If you're only doing good works, if you're only being good, if you're only doing things that are good in order to get God to accept you, quit doing that. What I love about this story is it teaches us that salvation comes not when we do a list of things, but salvation comes when we recognize that we've sinned and we know that we need God's forgiveness. Once that clicks, when our heart is broken by our own rebellion, because that's what I love about this story is this tax collector's heart is broken by his own sin. And that leads him to turn to God and ask for forgiveness. So let me ask you a question. Have you come to the point in your life where you're brokenhearted enough about the sins that you've committed that you're ready to turn from that life and turn to Jesus? To stop trying to be good enough and to just say, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus, I'm ready to turn from my sin and turn towards you. I believe that's a decision that some people need to make today. This change in direction, this turn from a sin, a life of sinfulness and selfishness and self-centeredness to a life instead of following Jesus and of God-centeredness. This is what repentance is. Now, here's the cool thing. No matter what we've done in the past, no matter how far we've run from God, no matter how distant we feel from God, we know from the Bible's account over and over and over again that if we turn to Jesus, he, with open arms, accepts each and every one of us. He is always forgiving us. Jesus secures my eternity when I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and when I turn from my sins and turn to him. Third thing I've got to do to secure my, to allow Jesus to secure my eternity. Jesus secures my eternity when I receive him as my Savior and my Lord. When I receive him as my Savior and my Lord. This is where your salvation becomes personal. Where salvation becomes real. This is where you you ask Jesus to come into your life and save you, be your Savior, and be your Lord. And at that moment, when you ask him to forgive you of your sins, it, you're doing more than just that. It's a, it's a two-for-one. You're asking him not just to be your Savior, but also to be the Lord or the leader of your life. We talked about last week, you can't say you're a follower of Jesus and not follow if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you just sit there, you're not following. You're just sitting. You're, you're a sitter, not a follower. Right? Once you have Jesus in your life as your Lord and Savior, then what you have is you have the creator of the universe. 
You have the person who's made you and created a purpose for you, living within you, who's ready to give you clear direction. In fact, Jesus doesn't say, this is the path you need to follow. Go do it. What he says is, this is the path we're going to go down. Come follow me. And he walks with us down that path. Now, maybe up until this point in your life, you've been trying to figure everything out on your own. And maybe you look back on your life, like all of us do, and you can point to the bad decisions and the consequences for those. I always say, if, you, if I could give you a time machine, you would surely go back and, and change at least a few of those decisions. Because the results, the consequences, were so bad, that's what we call our regrets, you'd go back and make a change. Maybe because of that, because you've been... You've been in present for your whole life, and you know your history of making bad decisions, mistakes, consequences that have come to that. Because of those, your, because of your track record, you're in your current circumstances, and you've got decisions to make, and you've got a direction to take. And because you know you've messed up in the past. That creates a lot of angst and a lot of worry and a lot of anxiety. Because let me just say, you've been your own God up until this point, and that's part of the problem. You suck at that, if I can say it that bluntly. It's not just you. I'm not good at being God of my life either. You don't make a good God for your life. I don't make a good God for my life. Let me just say, I wouldn't want you to be God for my life. That would, I would be petrified. If you were my God, and if I was your God, oh, you should be scared to death. We don't make very good gods. We make lots of mistakes. So if you've been going through life and you've been calling all the shots because you're number one and you believe what everybody else says is it's my life and I'll do what I please, you know, like Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? The stress, the anxiety, the worry, all of those things. Maybe you even feel a little regret and, and even shame. I want you to know life doesn't have to be that way. When you turn to Jesus as your Savior, it's a two-for-one deal. You not only get him as your Savior, you get him as your Lord, as your leader. And because Jesus loves you, he is always going to lead you down the best path, the very best path. You can, you can trust that. I love what the Apostle John writes in John 1.12. He says it this way, and this is so important, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, circle those two words, believed and accepted, it's both. It's more than just believing, you have to accept. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave, gave the right to become the children of God. Underline those last three words, children of God. In class 101, I focus on our membership class, I focus on this particular verse. I talk about a Grand Canyon and God being on one side and us being on the other side. And Jesus building a cross for us to get a bridge that we can cross over to be where God is. But it's a two-part thing you have to believe and receive. It's not enough just to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's the first that's the initial response. But then you have to turn from and towards. And then you have to accept him as your Lord and your Savior. And this is a strong statement that John makes here about what it means to become a child of God. Because even though we've all been created by God and we're all totally loved by God, completely 
and totally loved by God. God loves you whether you're in Christ, whether you're a child of God or not. See, sometimes that's what Christians think. Oh, God loves me more because I'm one of his children. No, he doesn't. He loves everybody 100%. He doesn't love you more now that you're a child of God than he loved you before you were a child of God. He already loves everyone 100%. Not not anymore can he love. But this is not saying that even though we're all created by God and we're all loved by God, but we're not all God's children. Because you kind of hear people say that all the time, don't you? Well, he's got the whole world in his hand. We're all, we're all God's children. Well, that's half true. He does have the whole world in his hand. But we are not all his children. We are all his creation. And we are all equally loved by God. He loves everyone the same. But we become God's child, the Bible says, only through adoption. When God adopts us into his family. Remember, we're separated from God by our sin. From the very beginning in our lives, sin separates us. And that's why we don't feel his presence in our life. And and we're not promised eternity in heaven because of that sin and separation. But we become children of God. We become adopted into his family when, like we said, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. We turn from our way and and turn towards Jesus and we accept him as our Lord and our Savior. That's when we're adopted into his family. That's when our security in heaven and our eternal life is secure. When he becomes our father. When we become his children. He begins to direct our lives. What I want us to get is all of this begins in this moment of salvation. Eternal life really doesn't start when you die and go into the afterlife when you go to heaven. Eternal life begins when you're Spirit is regenerated when you become born again, when God puts his spirit within you. Those of us who are in Christ, who are Christians, eternal life has already begun for us. We are already eternally alive. You know this verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Will you underline that phrase or circle that phrase, believes in him? And allow me to ask you this question. Have you made the decision to believe in Jesus? Have you asked him to be your Lord and your Savior? Jesus secures my eternity when I believe that he died for my sins on the cross, that I turn from my sins towards and I turn towards Jesus. And when I accept him as my Lord and Savior, and then finally, number four, Jesus secures my eternity when I trust him for all of eternity. One of the benefits of salvation is the gift of security, the gift of peace that Jennifer was talking about for those of us who keep our minds stayed on him. We don't have to we don't have to live life afraid. We don't have to live life with anxiety. Even if we're facing death like the persecuted church, like those that we saw in the video. How can they have so much peace? How can they have so much faith? Well, their mind is focused on their Savior and what's ahead. So we don't have to be afraid of even death because what's waiting for us on the other side is heaven. And that's going to be better than anything that we have in life. I saw a meme, I think it was even just this morning, a quote that said, when you know Jesus, 
dying isn't leaving home. Dying is going home when you know Jesus. We don't have to worry about losing something in this life. So much more is going to be given to us in heaven. And we can be happy and we can be secure. No matter what the circumstances that we find ourselves in now. Because we know that we're in Jesus' hands. And no person and no event and nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. John 14, 1-6. Jesus says, um, I forgot to include these, but I think I've got them on the slides. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. You will know, and you know the way, the way to where I'm going. And Thomas pipes up. He says, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. They have no idea. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? I'm so glad Doubting Thomas had that conversation because this is what Jesus says in verse 6, John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus says, because I love you and you have trusted in me, I'm preparing a place for you in heaven. And you don't have to be afraid. It's done. It's taken care of. You can't lose it. Even if you mess up, even if you sin, you belong to me and I'm never going to stop loving you. And Jesus finishes by saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, no one can reconcile with God except through me. There's no other way to overcome sin and have eternity secure. It's not about coming to church. It's not about being born into the right family or in the right country. It's not about worshiping another God. It's not about being, being good. Salvation comes when you say yes to Jesus and you follow him and you trust him with your eternity. But we began the, the series and we began today with the question of who do you say that I am? Let me ask you. How would you answer that question today? Who is Jesus? And if your answer is not, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I turned to follow him and I accepted him as my Lord and Savior and he holds my eternity secure. If you've never done that, I want to challenge you to do that. I'm going to say a prayer in just a second and, and I want to give you the opportunity to make that decision. To say, you know, I'm not going to follow my way. I'm not going to be my God. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And if you decide that, I want you to let me know by writing it on your communication card. By writing Savior and Lord on your communication card. What you're saying is, I want Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. You just write Savior and Lord so I can be praying for you. Our last verse says in Acts 4.12, There is salvation in no one else except Jesus. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Would you pray with me? And I want to give you the opportunity as we bow our heads and close our eyes. Let this be a time between you and God. And right now, I just want you to pray. And you just pray by thinking these words to him. You don't have to say them out loud. You just have a conversation in your mind with God. And God, first of all, I want to pray for those people who maybe they're here for the first time and they don't know you yet. They're not a child of God yet. But this is ringing true in their life. Everything in their life has pointed them to this, to this moment. Or maybe they've been coming for 
the whole series. And for six weeks now, we've been talking about who Jesus is. And the light bulb went on today. I need a, I need a Savior. They don't have a relationship with you yet. If this is you, and you're ready to make that decision to follow Jesus, it's a simple, simple thing. It's you just saying in your heart and your mind to God, you're just saying, I believe, and I'm turning, and I accept, and I trust. I'll lead you in this prayer. You don't have to say these, these words out loud. You just think them. But you say something like this. Say, God, it's in your mind. God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. So, God, today I'm making this decision. I'm no longer going to follow my way, my sin. I'm going to turn and follow Jesus Christ as my Lord. Today, Jesus, would you please come into my life and be my Savior and Lord? I want to trust you with my eternity. That's it. You pray that prayer. And he says he's going to come into your life. He's going to lead you as you follow him. And he's going to secure your eternity and give you life and direction and meaning and purpose. Heavenly Father, for all of us, help these truths to become more and more real in our lives. Help us to be ready when someone says, who is Jesus? Be ready with the answer that Jesus is my Lord and Savior because I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I turned from me being God and I turned to him to be my Lord, my leader. And I'm trusting him for my eternity. Lord, help us all to realize the significance that Jesus is our security and eternity from now and forever. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you so much.